Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, the co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tyler, it's Black History Month in America. It is. February every year, and a chance for us to celebrate the contributions of African Americans to this great country of ours. And it's also a month that we're called upon to take a closer look at the racial history of this country, especially as it relates to slavery and some of the uh, incredibly uh, difficult parts of the relationships we've had with the African-American community in this country. Um, And this show is dedicated to that topic. And uh, I'm I'm actually incredibly uh, privileged and excited about this show because we're going to be talking about one of the most unique events that happened in American history. Um, And it is the the last slave ship to enter the United States, uh, which occurred in 1860, called the Clotilda. And we're going to be talking about that today. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a story that uh, makes its own gravy, as they say. It's, it's an incredible story that I was not aware of myself, Peter. And uh, I am really, truly excited uh, today to, to have this time with Darren Patterson, our guest, uh, to talk about uh, this story. And I, I just have to say, um, you know, to, 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 to go back and look at this story of a slavery on the American shoreline mm-hmm. um, and what that means, because we think, you know, if the beach is anything, it's freedom. And um, I just think it's a really sobering reminder of yeah. our, where we have come from. And so... Uh, that being said, I think that what we will learn in the Clotilda story is uh, just how dynamic uh, Americans can be when we embrace diversity and we embrace each other. And uh, so I'm really looking forward, to, Peter, to uh, today's impor- conversation. Yeah, a really important show. And, and for the listeners out there, I just want to throw a couple of facts on the table. Um Many of you may know that the act prohibiting the importation of slaves was passed in 1807 uh, at the bequest of Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson. It took effect January 1st, 1808, Tyler. Early, early uh, in the 1800s. Yes. At that point, it was illegal to import slaves, any slaves into the United States, the territory of the United States. Uh, 55 years later, of course, we all know about the Emancipation Proclamation, which took place on January 1st, 1863, which freed the slaves in the South. But it was illegal to bring new slaves into America as of 1808. The Clotilda is the last slave ship to arrive in the United States, and it occurred, it arrived in the United States in July 1860. So we are well past the prohibition time frame for it. And the sad start part of this story is this ship uh, was sent to Africa to collect slaves on a bet between a very wealthy shipbuilder in Mobile, Alabama named Timothy Mayer and a gentleman in New Orleans. And he bet uh, Timothy Mayer built the Clotilda, an 86-foot-long schooner. Uh, He equipped it, hired the captain, and sent it to Africa. And 110, I believe, slaves were carried back to Mobile, Alabama, and, in, and, and, and put into slavery. Uh, Timothy Mayer uh, kept 30 of the slaves for his own self. Um, but there's an amazing story about the descendants from this ship. And uh, our guest today is Darren Patterson, and he is the president of the Clotilda Descendants Association and knows firsthand this story. So I'm really looking forward to learning this story from him directly. Me too, Peter. But first, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. Support for the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today comes from Geodynamics, an NV5 company. Geodynamics' team of specialists provide accurate surveys of complex coastal environments around the world using the latest technology in marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing. 
With customized vessels and sensor configurations, Geodynamics delivers meticulous data products to answer their clients' toughest questions. Visit nv5geospatial.com or geodynamicsgroup.com to learn more about Geodynamics and their solutions that improve lives. And from the Coastal Zone Foundation. The Certified Coastal Practitioner Program from the Coastal Zone Foundation offers courses covering 11 different subject areas, including coastal engineering, ecology, geology, project management, and more. The CCP program emphasizes a multidisciplinary approach to coastal zone management, setting you apart from the competition and demonstrating your commitment to best practices and a code of ethics in your field. With modules available online or as live short courses, the CCP program is accessible to coastal professionals at all stages of their careers. Learn more at coastalzonefoundation.org. And don't forget, subscribe to the CNT Daily Blast newsletter for the latest news and updates from around the American shoreline. Want to support our work? Learn more about sponsorship packages at coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising. Well, Darren, we can't thank you enough for uh, joining us on the American Shoreline podcast to share with us the story from uh, Mobile, Alabama, about the Clotilda, the last shave sh- slave ship uh, coming to America. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm very impressed with your uh, your knowledge of the story. And, uh, you know, usually when I talk to people, they don't really, they, they expect me to tell them the story. But you guys really have uh, done some good work on laying the foundation for the story itself. And I'm hoping that I can fill in some good blanks for you and for the uh, listeners. Well, Darren, uh, we appreciate it. And I understand that you yourself are a descendant of uh, one of the 110 uh, survivors of the uh, Clotilda. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your family uh, lineage here and how, uh, how you can trace your history back to the Clotilda? Well, most of the people on the ship were teenagers. That's one thing a lot of people need to know. Wow. These were young people. Uh, my great-great-grandfather, Kupali. Kupali was his African name. Once he got here, of course, the enslavers um, gave them the names of their enslavers, okay? And his last name was Allen, Kupali uh, Allen. And uh, he was a very remarkable man. They were all remarkable people. But let me start first with two things I want to make sure that I correct, and it's nothing against you guys because it's a it's a semantics thing. Okay, Go they were it. not slaves; they uh, were enslaved people. Yes. Okay, they were they were people who were living a good life, who were happy, who were doing things that they needed to do, and uh, because of the greed of King Lele of the tribe of Dahomey, who had a, a ruthless fighting force of women. Uh, say some want to call them Amazons, but they were just ruthless women. And they had good weaponry because they had traded for good weaponry on uh, for years in this uh, this uh, ill-gotten uh, ways that they had of, of trading for human cargo for uh, wealth and uh, weapons and uh, all kinds of material things. But they were enslaved people. And the second part is the bet that Timothy Mayer made. You know, this has been talked about so much, but, you know, I believe with all my heart that the bet was really a cover-up for Timothy Mayer just being greedy and wanting to bring bring, uh, enslaved people here uh, despite the law that had been passed some 50 years earlier that outlawed bringing enslaved people uh, for the purpose of uh, harvesting cotton here and harvesting sugarcane in South America. Hmm. So with that being said, you know, those are the things that, you know, I really want to make people know. These were people. These were really cool people, man. They were they were young people, but they were also very, very astute people in what they did. They were farmers. Um, they did a lot of work with the ground. And actually, they actually taught um, the enslavers here how to produce a better cotton crop. Uh, huh. Something that I don't know if that was really in their 
thought process when they put him on the ship. But the fact that Captain Foster kept William Foster, who was Timothy Mayer's friend from Maine, a uh, very, very capable sea captain, the fact that he kept very copious notes makes Clotilda one of a kind in the fact that we can trace everything of our lineage back to where they came from and where they the tribes they were from. Wow. That's something that most uh, uh, of, of the uh, enslaved people that came here before them couldn't do because there wasn't very many, uh, uh, wasn't very much documentation. But uh, Foster was, was pretty good at what he did. He documented every inch of that voyage, going and coming. So that's the good thing. The bad thing is that it was enslaving human beings. Okay? Yes. That was the bad part. Yeah, that's the small part of this. That's yeah. the actual horror of it. But, of course, it was, a, it was a policy of our country to do that and uh, was, uh, justified under the law for hundreds of years. I'm, I'm really interested. You're right about William Foster, the captain of the ship that was hired by Timothy Mayer to sail the uh, Clotilda to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, and he took very good notes about how he obtained the people that he loaded on this ship and sailed back to Mobile. Can you share uh, that story with us? About about his note-taking yes, progress? Yes, or, or about the purchase of the slaves. In, ah, okay. Uh, yep. Well, I mentioned King Galile earlier. Um, he had gotten rich. I mean, he built a vast fortune uh, by capturing his enemies and selling them to these wealthy enslavers from America. Um, he would capture these people uh, with the uh, aid of his ruthless fighting force. Um, some of these women were, were just, most of these women were just brutal. They would be, they would behead people and hang the heads on their on their waists as trophies and that type of thing. And on the night of the raid uh, of, of where my people were, uh, they were caught off guard. They had gates that were closed around their compound, you know, to keep the enemy out. And they breached these gates uh, and was able to get in. And the people they didn't take, they killed. Wow. Uh, they killed older people. That, that's so there could be no no tracing of, of, of what happened. So it was a brutal, brutal night. And uh, one of the Africans, I believe it was Kujo Lewis, uh, Kuzula, he actually had thought he had escaped only to run into um, a patrol of these Amazons, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. and was captured and taken to Wida and enslaved in the Barracoon. The barracoon was like a holding cell, a jail, uh, where they would just have all of these these Africans there, kind of like a buffet for when the uh, enslavers came calling. And uh, that night was particularly brutal because they left no no traces. They either took you or killed you. Wow. And uh, it was it was awful. I mean, Is- it was awful. Culture- Kudrow talks about it in the book Barracoon uh, and talks about how brutal it was that night and how, how, how harrowing it was that night to be taken away from uh, their families, never to see their families again. Think about it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a teenager and you're taken away from your family, your friends, and you have to understand the nature of this voyage itself, the return voyage. They were in the cargo hold of that ship butt naked, eating where they crapped, sleeping where they crapped, young girls with cycles, the filth and the squalor that they were forced to endure for two months, two months, yep. two months on the, on the trip back. They went through two hurricanes. So the ship was tossed about. I mean, and to still survive after they got here, be enslaved for five years, and then after that, ask, can we have a ship to go home? And they said, no. My money would have been on them if wow. they would have found a way home. Incredible. Can we have some land? No. Oh, can we work for you then? And that's what they did. They worked for their enslavers to buy enough land 
to raise their families and create homes and create a community that now is still there called Africatown. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. Let's talk about this so much here, Darren. Thank you so much for walking us through that history. Um, it sounds like that the 110 uh, free people who were purchased uh, from the jail essentially and loaded on board the ship came from the same village or the same community. Is that right? Uh, they were from different tribes. Okay. Um, a good a good number of them were Yorubans. Uh, my history and ancestry is Yoruban. And if you look up anything about the Yoruban culture, they're remarkably diverse people in terms of the abilities that they had. I said they were farmer. My great-great-grandfather, uh, Kupali, was not only a farmer and a planter, but he was a woodworker. He was a beekeeper, you know. Uh, I heard the other day, somebody said he was a preacher. But, you know, a lot of people in that community were able to be leaders. Um, in Kupali's, in uh, uh, speaking of Kupali, he and Osiah Kibi and Kudrow Lewis were the three chiefs, if you want to use it for lack of a better word, leaders of that community. They would settle disputes. They would, you know, rule and because they kept their African culture and customs. And this was after they were enslaved for five years before they were emancipated through the Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, they were made to do some things that they were not comfortable with, but they, they survived. That's why I call the resilience, call into play their resilience. They were resilient, man. They didn't let their spirits be broken. It's kind of like now. Look at all the things that we've gone through in America with civil rights and the lynching memorial down in Montgomery. If you haven't had a chance to see it, you must see the lynching memorial in Montgomery, Alabama yep. that Brian Stevenson An has incredible. incredible. It's incredible. Yep. Uh, and when you go there, you cannot help but cry when you see all these slabs and each one of them represents a someone who was lynched. Through all this, through the 60s, being shot, killed, hung, the black people have continued to survive. I don't understand why that message is not getting across mm -hmm. to people in this day and time who still want to try to intimidate. Intimidation does not work. We need to figure out how to live together because black people in this country were never meant to be anything but slaves. So now we have to figure out a way to live together. And that's the point that the Clotilda Descendants Association would really like to hammer home because we want to be at the forefront of the discussion when people are trying to airbrush history, when people are trying to say, oh, no, we don't want to talk about critical race theory because right. it's going to make the, going to make the little white kids hate themselves. No, it's going to make them hate you. Okay. It's going to make them hate what their families stood for because now they have to explain to little granddaughter and great granddaughter. Well, uh, granddaddy, I don't understand. Were you part of that? Was great granddaddy part of that? Because I have a little friend named Darren and he's black and he seems okay to me. So what's the problem? Right. And that is what the people in this country are trying to avoid. They're hiding behind the, these little children saying, well, we don't want to teach that. And, and that's just not right because Maloney. black history is American history. It is indeed. Okay. And the other thing that's incredible about it is uh, when you love something, when, you, when it is your son or your daughter or your wife or someone in your life that you truly love and want the best for, being honest about what they're doing that is harmful to them is absolutely essential in any relationship of integrity. And Absolutely. people who love this country have to be willing to look at the hard truths of this country. We exploited millions of people in the slave trade that built this country. And, and the Native Americans. Yes, not to mention. And we have yeah. to acknowledge and understand it and atone for that uh, sin, which I consider the great sin of America. Mm -hmm. um, but the other, you mentioned the, the resilience of of the African-American community and particularly the descendants of this last slave ship to arrive in America in 1860. And the, the other thing that always strikes me about uh, the power of the African-American community is this is a, this is a community of people who continue to demand that we uphold the values that we say that we 
uh, represent as a nation. This is not a group of people who's trying to tear down America. This is a Martin Luther King and the African-American community and the Black Lives Matter community are saying, would you please, do you mind if you uphold equal protection under the law? Do you Mm -hmm. mind if you uphold the values in the Constitution? This is a group of people that is dedicated to the values of this country. And I've always been amazed by that, given how much torment we have inflicted on this community of people. Mm -hmm. I feel as though we're at a reckoning point right now throughout the world with people who are um, uh, oppressed people who are saying no more. You're finding people in Australia who are saying uh, enough, you know, enough. People in England, enough. People in South America, enough. This is a reckoning point right now. And it's, you ever seen the movie The Perfect Storm? When all three of these storms came to, all three of these elements came together at this one time in this one place to create this massive storm that the the Dorchester um, fishermen had no chance against. I feel as though we're at some type of of event that's tantamount to that right now. You've got people holding on by their fingernails to hold on to the last vestiges of racism. This is 19, This is 2022. This is not 1962. Why in the hell are we having bomb threats called in the HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, in 2022? That is ignorant. That is ignorant. Why are we doing stuff like that? Why are we trying to hold on to these values? I see it being at a point where we're either going to have to figure out how to live together or this country is going to be destroyed. And we love this country and a lot of people love this country too much to see it destroyed by a few zealots who refuse to step into the light, step into the daylight. So well you know? put. Absolutely. I, I echo uh, that sentiment. Absolutely. But I would also say that uh, I think that that is the great test of, you know, in looking at the history of this country, that seems to be the great test. It's like the minute you take the foot off the gas, you take your eye off the ball, whatever expression you want to use, the zealots emerge. Adamantly, this is why Black History Month is so important. uh, And that's why we have to not only atone to use your word, Peter, but also I'm going to use a, a different word, which is study. We have to study. We have to stick our noses in it and really examine d- deeply. And I'll tell you, Americans today do not know enough about the 1800s uh, because yeah. that was a dynamic, extremely dynamic period of time that we could learn a lot from. Absolutely. Um, the, the, in and terms, I'm glad, of, you, I'm glad you said that. This is a teachable moment for the kids. If they want to, if, if people want to take advantage of it, this is a moment where you can say, yes, Susie, uh, little Susie, that was a time in our, in our, in our history that we're not proud of. And it's something you need to understand because that people should not have been treated that way. And yes, we had folks in our families who back in that time were, were, um, uh, part of, uh, the movement to, enslaved people. I didn't agree with it. I wouldn't have agreed with it now, but that was in our past. This is a teachable moment to teach the kids that, yes, that was wrong. You know, instead of trying to airbrush history, this is a teachable moment. I'm so afraid that we're going to blow this. I'm so afraid we're going to blow it. I'm so afraid that people in this country think that we're going back to, to where we used to be. I am so I was so upset for the four years that 45 mm-hmm. was in office. Yeah, I really, really was. Here's the thing that I think is really important is that we are, as Darren, you have said, we are inseparable. Yes. Uh, white people and black people and all people in the United States are inseparable. We, uh, and uh, as we, and, and I think, and what I want to talk about actually, Darren, is the founding of Africa town and the initial, because it really is the story of just how resilient 
and how you just can't kill the the desire for human beings free human beings to want to make it to want to create families uh to have communities to be able to be with their loved ones and live their lives and yeah absolutely can you can you take uh, us back and, and kind of walk us through uh africa town and, and the community that it became absolutely i want to owe you guys an apology i get wound up okay no apology necessary and, uh, no, not necessary near and dear to my heart near and dear to my heart that that really are offshoots of my ancestors on the ship uh africa town uh america man I, I get wound up because i'm tired man i'm really tired i'm tired of of of, of things that 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 have happened in this country that make this country less than the great country it could be. Yeah. When when Africatown was founded by those 20, 30 some some Africans who were still here, it was they kept their customs, man. They they kept all of the things that was near and dear to them. After five years of being enslaved, they didn't forget about it. Man, growing up there, when I was growing up there, we had everything. We had shops, post offices, um, stores, uh, churches. The only time we really had to leave schools, the only time we had to leave the community was when we had to go downtown to pay utility bills, gas, lights, and water. But everything else we had right there, and it was you, you talk about this village raising a child, man, that's that's no myth. Everybody, you belong to everybody if you were a child. Um, listening to some of the stories from the past. Now, here's what I want you to know. My family was one of the families in Africatown that really didn't tell me a whole lot. And only as I got older and started learning the story of Africatown did I really understand who I was and then I started to ask myself, I wonder why they didn't tell me much like they told my cousin, John Baco. John Baco's uh, Aunt, Aunt Eva, Eva Jones, told him everything. And I said, well, maybe they were ashamed of how they got here. Because I talked to my mother, and she said, I'm not an African. I'm like, well, why is that? You know, I've heard that we have African heritage. Ah, we're not African. As I went through life, I found out that possibly they were trying to protect me. They were trying to protect the children. Remember, talking about enslaving Africans after the act of 1808, I believe, was, was taboo. The penalty was death if they caught you bringing a load of Africans into the country. And I really believe hmm. that when they brought Clotilda here, offloaded his cargo, and then took the ship and tried to scuttle it and burn it to act like there was no Clotilda that ever existed, it would have been really detrimental to a lot of people's health to be running around talking about Clotilda, Clotilda, Clotilda. My wife, tells, my wife tells me I would have been the first one shot because I'd have been running around talking about Clotilda, Clotilda. And they said, okay, get him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I found out through that that they tried to protect us possibly by not telling us as much as we needed to know. I would have loved to have known as a youngster that I was Yoruban, that my family was were, were, was, were, were from this classy group of people who knew how to do so many things, but they didn't do that. But growing up in Africatown, uh, it was great. Wow. It was great. They left us a great foundation by what they built there. They built a church Historic Union Baptist Church that's still there today. The pastor is Reverend Derek Tucker, and he is carrying on all the things and traditions that those Africans left. Mobile County Training School, they built that school to teach the young Africans how to talk and how to walk. Because remember, there were Africans in Africatown, it wasn't called that then, there were Africans in the community who had been there for 50 plus years and born into slavery. Right. So, so when the Africans got off the ship, my people, 
and they had the dialect and they talked like this. They were made fun of. So their thing was, okay, we're going to build a school and teach our kids how to walk, how to talk, how to be viable citizens. And when I went to Mobile County Training School, you walked down the hall and you could feel it was something special. Man. I, I hear people talk about, uh, some people say, well, it was normal to me. What normal to me? Something was up. I didn't know what it was, but something was up. And you would have people in the community like Henry Williams try to tell you things. And your people say, oh, don't listen to Henry Williams. He's crazy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's and, some whatever. I'm, I'm sure that I understand that secretness, especially early on. Yeah. I think you're right. It was life-threatening to yeah. admit that that ship uh, had arrived and could be traced to an owner. What's amazing about to this story about me, uh, for me, is that it, it, this isn't ancient history. The the people who were on board the ship, I think the last survivor in Africa town was in 1940. The yes. people who were in, who were brought over and enslaved in America lived until the 1930s and the 1940s. And yes. the language of Afrikantown and the culture of Afrikantown was in native languages and African Yoruba languages, still in existence in America in 1950. It's just that present. It is, as you say, this is this community that you grew up in was the community founded by the last group of enslaved people brought to America. And Absolutely. that is an incredible story, Darren. And uh, it reminds us that we're not talking about ancient history here. We're talking about modern American history here. Yes. Yes. That's the thing that, that is, is important because, like I said before, black history is American history. And I don't understand how you talk about certain parts of history and not other parts of history. That is, that is really arrogant to think you can alter history, you know? How can you alter history? Yeah, no. If it was that easy, if taking down Confederate memorials and monuments uh, got rid of the, the pain and the tragedy of slavery in America, we'd all be for it. It's, uh, you know, it, it, we can't erase history. This is built and woven into the fabric of our nation. And the, the understanding of this history, I think, is to the benefit of all of us. Yes, it's really important to just let it be out there and, and let it fall where they may, where it may. Uh, kids are not stupid. As a matter of fact, these kids are very bright, man. They're very bright and they want to know. Every time I'm, 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 I'm speaking to people, some people bring their kids, you know, and uh, because they want them to know. Uh, I've been asked to come into some private schools here in, in Mobile that are predominantly white and talk to the kids about it. The, this story has really taken off. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just amazed at where it's headed now. And I'll tell you, Peter, I'll tell you, Tyler, the genie is out of the bottle with this thing in this country and it can't be put back in. Charleston, the city of Charleston has embraced its slave history. The International African American Museum is going up and going to open this year. The person leading the effort for that is a man by the name of Joe Riley. Joe Riley was the mayor of Charleston for over 40 years. Okay? He had he, he is the person at the front of that effort to make sure that Charleston's slave history is something that people can come and read about and see. Because so goes Charleston. So goes uh, the African International African American Museum. So goes Charleston. They're not going to just come there and see that and leave. They're going to do other things in Charleston. Montgomery has embraced its slave history. I grew up in Alabama, and I grew up with Montgomery. And if you would told, have told me that years ago uh, you couldn't step off the curb in Montgomery without getting hit by a tour bus, I'm not, I, you must have been crazy. But now Montgomery is a tourist mecca. I was sitting in a restaurant in Montgomery, and guy says, hey, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Mobile. I'm up here doing some things with the, uh, the state of Alabama. He says, well, I'm from Los Angeles, and this guy here, he's from uh, San Diego. And we flew in to, to watch, to, to go to EJI, the Equal Justice Initiative that Brian Stevenson has built. Birmingham, 
Okay? My point is this. These cities realize that there is a need for people to understand history and to see it firsthand. And they have taken it upon themselves to get behind that, get behind that. So people come to their town. In Montgomery, they told me that uh, they sent the entire hotelier staffs back to school to learn how to be hospitable, okay? Because they didn't want people coming there for the uh, Equal Justice Initiative and the lynching memorial and all these tourists that are coming in. You walk down the street in Montgomery, there's no telling who you might run into. Oprah Winfrey, you know, uh, Steve Harvey. And they sent these people back to school because they didn't want people coming to Montgomery and then go out to dinner that night and have a bad hotel experience. I mean, I mean that's the attention to detail to me. And we want the same thing here in Mobile. The city. Let me let me tell you about the city of Mobile. The city Please of do. Mobile, I, I would love to hear about Mobile. Okay. The city. The city of Mobile has tacitly stepped forward. You know, because remember, Timothy Mayor's family has not spoken to the descendants. They haven't spoken to anybody. They still own land in Africatown that we would love to have. That we would really love for them to step up and say, look, this was something that our ancestor did. Uh, we don't agree with it. So what can we do? But the last vestiges of trying to hold on to what, what Timothy Mayer did are still alive in that family. Wow. Now, I've heard so many things about that family hierarchy being going to change soon. And when the hierarchy does change, they will speak to us. But that's only what I've heard because I've sent messages and they won't talk to me. They won't talk to anybody. But there needs to be some way to talk to these people. And the city of Mobile really needs to step out of that old Mobile attitude and that old Mobile money and get behind what is happening here. So goes Africatown, so goes Mobile. Absolutely, uh, and I think that, you know, one of the fascinating things in researching this show, Darren, is of course the story of Africatown and uh, how the Clotilda represents uh, this kind of beginning point. Um, but then the Clotilda circles back because, you know, the vessel was destroyed, it was burned, uh, to destroy oh, the evidence destroyed. almost <laughs> exactly almost yeah. destroyed and then lost unaccounted for uh, was searched for for many years and what I I'll, I'll note here ladies and gentlemen is that the Clotilda Descendants Association of which Darren is the president uh, was established I believe in uh, 1984 yes uh, or not, not not by this name but we shortened the name so it rolled off the tongue better. But <laughs> yeah, but it was it was established in 1984. Miss Beatrice Ellis and uh, Mr. Theodore Arthur were the president and vice president, respectively. Theodore is still around today. He's a noted musician here in Mobile, still going strong. Still uh, strong. Incredible and yeah. and but but the vessel, you know, the the vessel was still lost, but recently has been found, and yes. that raises just such in to to connect with what you're saying. Ladies and gentlemen, I mean, shouldn't this be a museum? Shouldn't this be an educational place to yeah, national historic site, national monument? All of it. All I, of it. It's it's it. I just think it's such an incredibly uh, powerful teaching tool, uh, and should be preserved and um, made to to be a feature that could bring tourists and people to mobile to study it and see it i am glad you said that please call the state of alabama and say the same thing because the state of alabama is involved okay there's surveillance electronic surveillance up near the up at the uh site of the shipwreck so that uh it can't be um disturbed um the ship hasn't been lost to a lot of people who knew where it was mm-hmm 
when um, Search Incorporated and Jim Delgado verified Ben Raines' find of the Clotilda, he said that there was evidence that that ship had been disturbed uh, as recently as, say, 20 years ago. People tried to finish it off. Really? Yes. Only people who knew where it was could have done that. So when that type thing goes on, we have to make sure that this thing is very well preserved. Preserved Now, the state of Alabama says, well, we're not sure if we can get it out of the water. Hey, man, they raise Viking ships, okay? Yeah, that's right. All right. So the bottom line is, is that do you want to put the kind of money into it to raise it? Do you want to put the kind of money into it to raise it? Put it on display in Africatown so that people can see it. Because the biggest thing is that the biggest takeaway now is that it's not about the ship, man. And and my some of my cousins in the in the association had to pull my coattail and said, there, there. Remember now, when you talk about this, it's not about the ship. It's about the cargo that was on the ship. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. So I had to go, oh, my God, you're right. You're I right. mean, it's great to have the physical object, of course, and it, this yeah. boat was 86 feet long. And, and imagine, you know, as I know you guys have uh, thought through what it was like to have 110 people contained in a hold and the ship for two months. And this is a very small boat. Yeah. Uh, until bigger it was burnt. Than, uh, I mean, some people's living rooms are bigger than, than where these people were uh, Yeah. To live for but the months. thing about getting that ship out of the water and putting it in Africa Town and building the kind of museum that it would warrant is not just about the ship. It's the fact that when you went there to visit that ship, you could meet people could meet you and you are the descendants of the people who are on that ship and that Africa Town was founded by the people who are on that ship. Mm-hmm. And it's an incredible story of the people and the perseverance and the commitment to America. I think it's an incredible story. It's a great, it's a great American, it's a great American story. Isn't it, it is. You know, it's the, it's the kind of story that you want told. Yes. About America. Yeah. That's the kind of story you want told. You know, I have a sports background. I started out as a sports writer and, and morphed into project management and technical writing. But the, but the education that I got by covering sports for over 30 years has been invaluable to me because and I tell people this all the time. It doesn't matter what color you are when you're on the team. Mm-hmm. It's the color of your jersey. And the color of our jersey just happens to be red, white, and blue. Okay? I love it. That is what we need to know. And that is what we need to adhere to. I am just as much American as you are, Tyler, as you are, Peter. More. My family didn't get here till 1911. Oh, <laughs> You're a mer- more American than my family. Yeah. I, we're, we're all on the same team. Yeah. You know, I love how people can go and cheer for the University of Alabama and walk out of there and go back to some of the same racist thoughts yeah. that they had when they before they walked into the stadium. Yeah. How does that happen? We got a lot of work to do, Darren. I mean, the the conversation about race in America is, I don't know. I, I tell you, I I couldn't agree with you more that the current state, the condition of our discussion about race in America is at a very low ebb. And I'm God willing, we'll get to a better place with the leadership of organizations like yours, but also Brian Stevenson, who is one of my absolute heroes. And for the listeners out there, if you don't know who this is and you don't know what the Equal Justice Initiative is all about, this is absolutely something to spend some time on during Black History Month or every month of the year. He's an extraordinary man and, and, and has done more work uh, on this issue than any. I just think I just think he's an, an absolute treasure. And right. uh, has he taken an interest in the Clotilda Memorial? We have, we have had discussions with his organization. I'm hoping to continue those things. Uh, soon and make sure that we try and maximize uh, what we have going on here in Alabama. You know, we have a a complete um, African-American heritage trail now in Alabama that leads from Birmingham to Tuscaloosa to to Montgomery to uh, Mobile. And it's all going to be connected. Um, The director of tourism, Lee Sintel, was in town last week for our play an ocean in our bones. We are. We had a one-act play. Uh, we are going to develop the full stage play, the full Clotilda stage play uh, is debuting in 2024. Fantastic. And we, have designs, we have designs on taking this play 
to all the HBCUs, all the historically black colleges and wow. universities, and then on to Broadway. Wow. And then on to Africa. Wow. We want people to know the story. Just just sitting here talking to you guys and and realizing what a great American story this is. It is. It's a triumph. You know? It's a yeah. triumph over subjugation and a triumph over greed and it's and a triumph over inhumanity. Over evil. And it's over a, evil. And it's about freedom. Yes. Yes. And it's a story we can all learn from. It doesn't matter who's teaching it. It's that we can all learn from it, man. Yeah. Could you imagine what this country could be if we could all just live together and respect yeah. one another? And we better do that because China and Russia are not playing. <laughs> That's right. Okay? They're very serious about what they're doing. That's and right. we need to get behind who's ever in that office uh, at, on Pennsylvania Avenue. First of all, we got to make sure the person in there is competent. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's always good. Want, that always helps. Any, yeah, we don't want any more 45s in there. <laughs> and they've got to be somebody who, again, can unify. And we've got to get all these old crustaceans out of Congress who are just filling a seat now and adding to their wealth and adding to their power and 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 get some people in there like like Adam Zinger. Love Adam Kiz uh, mm -hmm. Kizinger, I believe he is. Yeah. I love him. You know, Republican, who cares? The guy is American. Liz Cheney, American. Mm -hmm. Okay. We need people in there who have this country's best interests at heart. There you go. We need to get some people in there who will fight for America. We have high, we have higher expectations, Darren. Absolutely. We need we need them to do better than some of the bullshit we've had to witness in the last Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. And, and fighting to cover up fighting to cover up your personal indiscretions and and oh my god, don't even get me started. Well, know? and and what I'll just add in here uh, as we uh, wrap this conversation up is that it's on us in America. It's on all of us to vote and to uh, demand uh, more out of our elected leaders. And um, that's why investing in a Clotilda Memorial and really going at it. So that, that's the best possible investment. If it costs a hundred million dollars, which is probably more than it would cost. But if it costs that much, just in teaching people about what we're talking about right here, yeah. that is that is our greatest asset as Americans. Telling the truth, telling the truth is a great yeah. asset. We have America. A, we and have the triumph of the spirit of of humanity, man. That's what that's democracy true. thrives on. That's why we each. That's why we don't have a king because we yeah. don't believe it's right to give that to anyone. Absolutely, one of our biggest champions here. In Mobile is a lady by the name of Merceria Ludgood. She's a county commissioner, and she has made it her mission to make sure that all the things that have been covered and had blankets thrown over them for years get their proper due. Get their proper due now. Uh, commissioner Ludgood has been our champion, man. You know, she is a remarkable lady, and I just give kudos to her as being somebody who stepped forward and said we're going to do this right we're going to do this right yeah i love it the truth will set you free we got to tell yep. the truth about our past we have to understand it and uh we're working to be a better country and uh there's no shame in in admitting the sins of our past that's how all of us improve our lives is we have amen. to understand what the mistakes we've made in our lives and and mistakes we've made as a country amen if we're going to be able to move forward and amen. I, in project management we call it continuous improvement there that's 100 adaptive management you got to respond to the situation uh, i know tim that's 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 great darren uh, i got to yeah. tell you one of the things i have i have a a I was fascinated to learn that Timothy Mayer's family, that Timothy Mayer again was the, the guy who built the ship and, and paid for the voyage and, in, and took 30 of the 110 slaves onto his plantation, that mm. this man's property is in Africatown and his descendants are still alive. Yeah. So we're talking, Tyler, here about modern America. Here are the descendants of the enslaver and the descendants of the people who are on that ship living side by side. And that reconciliation is about the reconciliation of this country. Indeed. Absolutely. 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 Uh, we just want to say, all I want to do is is for one of the mayor family to say, hey, Darren, you want to go have a beer? Can we go have a hamburger? 
You yeah. know, can we can we just sit down and talk? Yeah. Because our lives are forever intertwined. Forever. Forever. That's true. Forever. The, the existence of your family in America in its very strange way is attributable to Tim Mayer. Absolutely. Yep. Without without him, yep. I wouldn't be here. Yep. I might be somebody else. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'd have more money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is so great. You know, I could, Darren, thank you so much. I'm going to give you the last word, but uh, please, this has such been such a pleasure to learn about this story and, and a privilege to talk to someone who's descended, had descended from the very people who were on board that ship. It's really incredible, Darren. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Final thoughts, please share with us what you'd like to have us understand. I don't want to keep harping on this, but it's, it's something that America needs to know and understand. We're all in this together, man. We're all in this together. Our jersey is red, white, and blue. We're on the same team. Now, we have some work to do on those teams. You know, when teams come together for training camp, you know, they'll cut a few people here and cut a few people there who don't necessarily fit into the framework of what that team stands for. But that's what it's all about. It's all about forming that roster of people who are going in the same direction like right now uh, with this with all the momentum that we have uh, with the Clotilla Descendants Association I've got to buy a bigger bandwagon man I love people it. Are, people are jumping on left and right because of the of the the momentum that we have but America as a whole we, we can't airbrush our history no. we can't paint over things that were wrong. We have to use it as a teachable moment to say this was wrong and here's what we feel like we need to do to correct it and go forward. And we can do that because we're Americans and we're the strongest country there is. Far out. Couldn't agree with you more. Your family uh, who was in, uh, who was subjugated, enslaved by this by this experience, is committed to this country. And if you can do it, we can all do it and face the truth of our past. I think Amen. It's great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Darren Patterson. He is the president of the Clotilda Descendants Association. Go to the clotildastory.com. That's the website for Darren's organization. It's absolutely fantastic and full of information. Make a donation, join their organization, support what they're doing. It's an important part of our history and one of the most extraordinary uh, stories on the American shoreline. Darren, thank you so much for for you, bringing this story to our attention. You guys have a good night and hook them horns. Right on. Thank you very much, Darren. Things that I can move, the beaches they sell.